This is Steve Kim. Andy Steiger. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you speak the language of our culture and address questions raised with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Last week, we wrapped up our three-part series on Did Jesus Dehumanize? And we got a lot of positive feedback from that. Today, we're going to get into something a little different, more of a cultural piece, if you will. That's funny, Steve. Like We have received so many comments. Even today, I received two. So here at Apologies Canada, we thought, okay, we clearly need to (laughs) address this issue. So you don't need to send your comments anymore. We've done it. Here we go. Before we get started, though, just a fair warning, our conversation today will revolve around having children, not having children, those sorts of things. And when we talk about not having children, we're going to talk about it as a generally negative thing. Now, if statistics are any indication, some of you listeners are probably struggling with infertility. Thankfully, I didn't have to deal with this. As far as I know, Andy and Nancy, they didn't have to deal with it either. But from what I understand, from what I hear, I have some friends who are struggling with infertility. This is a very, very painful experience. But just so you listeners understand, when we're talking about this topic under discussion today, we're talking about a very specific kind of decision not to have children. So this is not meant to be, we're not trying to point fingers at people who are struggling with infertility. That's not the point. And so hopefully this doesn't come across as another dagger in your heart as you're already struggling with infertility. So I hope that is clear. And so let's get started. If you're living in the Vancouver, BC area, you probably saw a billboard that made you raise your eyebrow a little bit. So there's this billboard with a picture of a black baby And just underneath it is this caption that says, the most loving gift you can give to your first child is to not have another. This billboard campaign is put on by an organization called World Population Balance. It's a nonprofit organization, as I understand. And they put on this campaign to sort of, I mean, there are many reasons why people choose not to have children, but their concern specifically is for the environment and the carbon footprint and and things like that. And so I first saw this on Instagram because I follow a number of pro-life organizations and this one organization put this up kind of criticizing this sort of anti-child or anti-family kind of sentiment that's really setting into the West uh, especially. And so That's where I first encountered it. Uh, And a lot of people, like I said earlier, have been asking me and Andy to address this issue. And listen, Steve, it happens periodically on the the show, as you're aware, that I get frustrated by, you know, you know, it's interesting. Listeners will will encourage us to go and and pursue different topics. and And we've over the years have talked on some weird stuff and stuff that we find just downright disturbing. But then there's these issues that we talk about that just frustrate me. I don't know how you felt when you got into this one, but it's it's one of those moments, you've heard me talk about this before, where 
where I, I think that as a culture, we need to bring back public spankings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Andy and his public spankings. Here we go. <laughs> Just it saddens me that there is a nonprofit out there that is dedicated to this end and that there are people that are giving their money. Let me just quote for you from the website. All right. Prepare your spanking paddle as I share this with you. (laughs) So curving population growth, it will address, and I quote, the root cause of resource depletion, species extinction, poverty, climate change, deforestation, water shortages, fertile soil depletion, air pollution, resource scarcity, unaffordable housing, and the most important one of them all, traffic congestion. (laughs) I remember- Steve, this is all we got to do, man. (laughs) When I went onto the website, uh, they have this slide going, and one of the first things you see is you have a picture of- this traffic jam basically on the left side and on the right side, it says, what's growth doing for you, right? And then if you go over a few more slides, it's the same picture, except this time the caption is, congestion begins at conception. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's pretty clever. That I will give them, right? Like on my, above my computer, I just need to have like this wooden paddle. (laughs) You know, this, the, you know, because you, you're reading these articles and you just want to look up to this wooden paddle, right? And just like, you feel yourself reaching for it. You know, you just want to pull it <laughs> off the wall. You know, you dust it off, get it ready for some some serious spanking. I mean, could you imagine what what this, what the, I, these are the kind of people, right? You start, like, I started a nonprofit with the purpose of curbing population growth because it's going to, co- it's going to deal with, society's root issues. It's absolutely absurd, Steve, to think that you're going to change the human heart and people's willingness to destroy not only each other, but the planet, and to be greedy, Steve, by changing the number of people that are on the planet. The the reality is, is that there weren't a lot of people on the planet when we extinguished many species, mm-hmm. right? We still, it was like, just because there wasn't that many people on the planet didn't mean we we're like, huh, I'm not gonna, uh, maybe I shouldn't shoot all the buffalo. You know, yeah. maybe I shouldn't kill all the booby birds. Hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. Maybe I shouldn't cut all the trees down. And I think this is one of those cases where uh, some people, I, I mean, I, I would assume that a lot of people who are involved with this campaign or movement or organization, what have you, are probably pretty secular-minded. And one of the things that I notice is when you have a group of secular people, their mindset often is if we just sort of fiddle with the statistics, if we can somehow control these external factors we can achieve some kind of a utopia, or at least we'll start to move towards it. We can progress towards it. What I often see unaddressed is this idea of virtue. What are you going to do with virtue? How are you going to change people's character by fiddling with statistics? Listen, there's a number of things I need to say with regards to that. 
it was interesting because I was watching The Matrix again uh, just recently. Oh, yeah. And, and it's just so clearly communicated in The Matrix where you've got the computer program. You know, it's the bad guy. I don't know what his name is. I don't even know if he had a name. But he's as he's been trying to root out these doggone humans that are just screwing everything up. He says, I've realized that you're not an animal, not like a normal animal, you know, because normal animals will go and they'll, you know, reach a balancing point in their environment where it's this healthy balance, you know, but you humans, you go in and then you just take over an area and then you'll then move into another area and you'll take over another area. And, you know, and he looks at Neil, right? And he's like, do you know what animal that's like? It's like a virus. And you, you see these kind of ideas in our culture today that humanity's the problem. And if you want to really deal with climate change, you know, if you really want to save the planet, what you need to do is remove humans because that'll fix everything because we are the virus. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's really funny. I've been kind of thinking about people that I know around me who have lots of kids, like a pastor that I know at our church, he's got seven boys. And the new nominee for the Supreme Court justice seat, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, she's known to have seven kids and she gets a lot of flack for having so many kids. They're told that they're irresponsible, both the pastor and Amy Coney Barrett, for having so many kids because each person will leave so much carbon footprint so that, that is the biggest contributor to climate change is having children. I call this children shaming or family shaming. And I, I have seen this just grow in recent years where as soon as you have more than two kids, you get into that three kid, four kid category, all of a sudden, absolutely under the spotlight. And I've heard from a number of people who either getting dirty looks or outright comments with regards to having more children. If you're driving a van, that's an indicator now, right? A lot like when you see, you know how in the elections years ago, they were talking about how you can kind of predict, you know, whether somebody is conservative or liberal by looking at the kind of car they own. So if you own pickup trucks, then likely you're a conservative and you're likely to vote for Trump, so on and so forth. And now I see something similar with minivans, right? You can look at that and go, oh man, that that's like a child-infested family right there. <laughs> and it's interesting because, I, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, we live in a culture today that is more and more against the family. And they're definitely not accommodating to having a family. Whenever or at least I large to, families, right? Yeah. and But I mean, by large families, Steve, that could mean two kids. It has often been the case. So if I want to go on vacation, right, if I want to go even locally to Whistler or something like that, and I'm checking for hotels, what will happen is, is now they want to know who's going to be in that room. But specifically, they want to know if you have any children that are going to be with you and what age those children are. And it's amazing when you will... And this happens all the time, right? You'll be on Expedia and you'll put in just your wife, you and your wife. And you're like, oh man, I'm seeing really good rates and lots of different hotels I could go into. But then you're like, oh, whoops, I forgot to put in my kids. So then you go back, right? And readjust that. Oh, I got two kids. I got an 11 year old and a 13 year old. And now all of a sudden you've got one hotel option 
And then I can't tell you the number of times this has happened. Then you click on that hotel option and the price that was, you know, $160 is now $260 because you have to pay an extra fee for each of your children that are going to be in that room. That, like, if, if you have a family as it is, you're, you're already frustrated by the kind of culture that we've got definitely doesn't help accommodate children or families, we should say. And then you see this where I would argue, Steve, that this is a tacit form of shaming. Look, if the most loving gift you could give your first child is not to have another, well, if you do have two kids or three kids or four kids, what does that mean then? Like play the logic out. Well, you're not loving. And now, listeners, before we continue, a message from our very own Steve Kim. Hi, listeners. We hope you're enjoying our podcast today. If you're interested in this kind of topic, we would like to encourage you to pick up a copy of Andy's new book, Reclaimed, How Jesus Restores Our Humanity in a Dehumanized World. In Chapter 5, titled Lonely Planet, he deals with this issue more in depth. Reclaimed is available at all major book retailers, and if you enjoyed the book, please consider leaving a positive review. And now back to our podcast. And a lot of people looking at this rightly, I think, naturally made the connection between this and the one-child policy in China. And of course, What's different here is this is a nonprofit. This is not a government organization. They're not going to use the coercive power of the state to enforce this so that, you know, like if you are pregnant with a second one, you know, they'll make you go through forced abortion or something like that. But I remember watching a video of this one lady who grew up in China and she had a brother. And she talked about how she grew up feeling so ashamed in school and in the community at large because she had a brother. Now, I look at that particular billboard talking about how the most loving thing you can do for your first child is not to have another. And I, well, let me put it to you this way. I'm a bit of a sucker for one of those surprise military homecoming videos. <laughs> Every now and then I put on one of those with one of those people, a box Steve. of tissue next to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching those things. And I've used those to kind of talk about different worldview issues. You know, like, for example, if we're all particles colliding, then what does this all mean when a daughter runs into her daddy's arms that she hasn't seen for 10 months and finally reunited and she's crying her eyeballs out, right? She's so happy to be with him, you know, those kinds of things. But I remember watching some, a lot of them are about children running into the arms of parents, quite a few moms too, but mostly dads and but then I see this one video, for example, of this guy. This guy's a Marine. Couldn't attend his sister's wedding. But then last minute, he gets this one-day leave to attend her wedding. And he makes it there. And we, when he shows up in his full uniform and everything, and just the connection that he made with his sister. And she is absolutely in tears. And She's like, okay, I got to redo my makeup, you know, but she's all happy about this because here is her best friend. And so when I look at something like the most loving gift you can give to a child is not to have another, I think about that. I'm like, what is it that we are depriving of our children when we choose not to have another child? Because there's so much that 
you could learn by interacting with a sibling. Like, I mean, a part, part of it, I think, is just what is it going to look like when a whole generation of people, as we see in China, don't know what it's like to have a sibling? What are the social impacts that we can expect from that? Oh, man. I mean, and Steve, there's so much to be said about that. Their goal, Steve, is to see the population cut in half. That's their goal. They would like to see that we would get whittled down to around 4 billion people. We'll get into that in a moment because there's so much that needs to be said there. But this is something that just that's happening with the one child policy that so many people are ignorant of. And by the way, when I'm reading this website and I'm reading the stuff that they're talking about is so ignorant that it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling that there's a nonprofit set up for this and that people actually give money to it. But Think about this. This is one of the problems that's happening in China right now. The Chinese didn't think about that when they started this whole thing. They didn't realize that, oh my goodness, what would that do to our economy? What's just the math on that? Where you've got one child that now needs to care for two parents. Their job is going to need to be able to provide for that social security, but them as a person is going to need to be able to hold a job and be providing for those families and everything else. That's a whole host of problems. I wasn't even planning on going there with this podcast, but I mean, those are thoughts to think about. There's other implications that came out of the one child policy. One of those issues, again, I talk about this one in my book, is that because of sex selective abortion and various other implications, you've got 50 million men currently in China that have no potential of a spouse. Those women don't exist. Mm. In China, they have names for these sorts of things. And in this one, in this case, in China, they call this a bear branch. So it's got its own term in Chinese. But these are people that will be a biological bear branch. They will not be able to find a mate. They won't be able to have a family. And this has created a lot of issues. A lot of issues with men and a lot of issues with women. It's led to a lot of depression. It's led to a lot of violence. And it's led to a lot of suicide. It shouldn't surprise you that suicide rates in China are one of the highest in the world. Again, I just can't help but one part of their campaign is, quote, you know, let's give this a shot. Let's show the world how to solve overpopulation. And again, what was their solution? One child or no child. And what have we seen from China with that? Huge problems. And again, to think that this is the root of humanity's problem is population is so naive, is so ignorant, it's staggering to me. But but we need to get to is actually what is the root? What is going on? And the challenge that we have is you've got broken people. A little thing that we call evil, sin, greed, pride, anger, jealousy, like this is the root problem. People are broken. And it's interesting to me that we've seen this working its way out in things like the one-child policy. For example, what happened in China when they said you could only have one child and they enforced it? Which, by the way, I got to say this, Steve. On their website, they call this the humane solution. And you can't help but wonder, well, what's the inhumane solution? I would not want these people to get into power because it's amazing to me how many books that are out right now that are quite popular that are talking about this idea of population control. And you can even see this with movies where what we need to do is just cull the people, right? We just need to kill some humans. And, and then, because if we can't do it the humane way, 
you know, if you if you people won't stop having kids, then we're going to have to do it. I'm, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to do it the inhumane way. And if you actually look at the history of China, one child policy was at first a recommendation. That's right. It later turned into legislation. And then came all kinds of like forced abortions and sterilizations and you having to get a permit to be a parent and so on and so forth. So and then when fine. I look at, yeah, when I look at something like this, uh, it gives me a bit of a chill down my spine because I look at this and go, and the reason they're not doing what China's doing right now is not because they don't want to. It's because they can't right now. That's right. But what if, like you said, they grabbed hold of power what would happen then? Now, this gets interesting, Steve, as you know, that the one-child policy has now been relaxed and has been for a couple years now. But what's taken place? What's taken place is that people aren't having kids. It's not like all of a sudden China's population is now exploding and having children, because one of the things you're getting at here, and that's such a key concept, which will demonstrate that this entire argument is not true. There's books be, that have been written on this subject. There's a number of articles. It only requires a Google search. And you can see that there are a lot of people in academia that have disagreed with this for years. You, I mean, Steve, you and I have been talking about this. I, I've been talking about this for 10 years now. Uh, you and I have been talking about it for like eight years. For a number of years, yeah. Yeah, I mean, since the beginning of this podcast, you can go back to previous podcasts to see this because these numbers have been out. And again, this is something that I talk about in my book, and that is that by and large, what happens when you become a consumer culture is you turn inwards. It becomes an individualistic culture. You no longer care about you know anything that's going to cost you because everything becomes about you. And, you know, it's about you not wanting to be in traffic. It's about you wanting to have affordable housing. It's about you wanting to have, 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 have. And one of the challenges is, is children ask. You have to sacrifice. You have to give. And it's difficult. And what happens is, is you begin to see that a culture that embraces consumerism begins to not embrace the family, not to embrace having kids. And what you have as a part of that is you begin to see a decrease in birth rates. And this is some, this is a phenomenon that has been going on for years. South Korea, they have one of the lowest birth rates in the world. Singapore has one of the lowest birth rates in the world. Germany does. Hungary does. So this and is Thailand. something- In Thailand. Yeah. So for us as Canadians, people who live in Canada, like we're quite familiar with all this. And I, that's why I think these- these ads are so ridiculous, is because population here is a problem. It's such a problem that we have to have mass immigration to offset the lack of children that we're having. And it's to such a good degree that governments around the world are getting creative to try to encourage their people to have children. That's the real irony of this campaign. This campaign is the complete opposite around the world. Around the world, you have campaigns that are literally begging their people to have children. And I honestly, Steve, I wouldn't be surprised if there would be countries that they would outright ban this organization or outright ban their ads because they would go against government policy. For example, in Japan, they have made it a government policy to get their people to have children. They've done this in, well, it's Singapore. I have a friend from Singapore. They will pay you $5,000 for your first kid. 
they'll pay you up to $18,000 for your third child. Even here in Canada, we get paid money monthly Mm -hmm. for the children that we have. And the more kids you have, the more money you'll get paid. Don't think that that's not a way to encourage people to have children. In Germany, they'll help your daycare and everything. And this is my favorite. This is an example I give in the book. This is my personal favorite. Is last year in Hungary, they are now offering tax exemption for life for any woman who has four children or more. And they will give you subsidies on buying a larger vehicle to accommodate that. It's quite interesting when you look at some of the studies that are coming out. There is this one study that came out on The Lancet. The title of it is quite a mouthful. It says, Fertility, Mortality, Migration, and Population Scenarios for 195 Countries and Territories from 2017 to 2100. Subtitle, A Forecasting Analysis for the Global Burden of Disease Study. That's a whole paragraph of a title. (laughs) But basically, what they're talking about is, yeah, in the past, we used certain deterministic factors to project population explosion, those kinds of things, and they think it's flawed. And so in this study, they're using kind of new methodology and things like that. And what they're coming out with is we're not headed towards a population explosion. It's not a population boom we're headed towards. It's a population bust. And even in Africa, where traditionally people have been you know, having a lot of kids per family, there it's also plummeting. And so what they're saying is by about mid-century, we're going to see a turning point. Globally. And I want to talk about that because this is some of the math that people don't fully appreciate, Steve. And that is, see, with this campaign, they're encouraging you to have one child. But think about the math on that. See, if you want to sustain a population, okay, so you don't want your numbers to go up, you don't want your numbers to go down, just to keep them where they're at, you have to have at minimum two children. But as you and I know, you have to have a little bit more than that. To account for the mortality rate, right? Two point, I think it's 2.1, somewhere around there. That's right. So, yeah. so you actually need to have a little bit more than two children just to keep your population the same. If everybody were to not have kids or if everyone was to just have one child, this has huge ramifications because it's not like this just becomes a slow dip. What happens is, is it becomes a major dip in population and that will have major effects on the world. So let's just tease this out for a moment. Where they're getting these numbers, for example, this organization, the numbers that they uh, show, they're getting from the UN. The UN put together something called World Population Prospects. And they predict that by the year 2100, that the world will have 11 billion people. So that's what this organization is addressing. The idea that the world's going to have 11 billion people by the year 2100 is just not true. There have been a number of articles and research that have come out that have challenged this. Most recently, there was a book that came out called Empty Planet that challenged this. The authors actually went and talked with those people that crafted this UN document and saw their research. They couldn't believe what they had seen the factors that are not being accounted for. This is what I would say, Steve. It's become a narrative that 
even though it's not true and the numbers are not showing this, it's as though they want them to be true, which I think is probably maybe being driven by some sort of environmental idea. Again, back to the idea, you know, humans are a parasite on the planet. They're a virus that needs to be gotten rid of. But one of the things I think is interesting, I don't know if you've ever come across this, uh, Steve, but uh, Kevin Kelly, who often writes for Wired magazine, one of the things that he points out that I think is really important is he says, listen, all of these charts only take you so far. They'll take you to where they think the pinnacle of human population growth is going to be, whether that be 8 billion, 9 billion, but which, by the way, Empty Planet thinks it'd be more around that, which would be its pinnacle, even if the UN thinks it's 11 billion. But what he gets at is it's the, the peak isn't the issue. He says where the graph gets most important is what happens after the peak, because it's after that peak that where you see the drastic decline, where humanity just literally falls off the graph. Because if you go without having children for a generation, it doesn't take very long for these sorts of things to have huge implications. And when you've got the sort of birth rates that you have around the world, and like you said, in Africa and these other nations that used to be the outliers are now more and more coming into lines with the same sorts of birth rates that we're seeing, this becomes really concerning, actually. And just to look at it from more of a human side of things, too, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier about, you know, who's going to take care of the elderly, those kinds of things. I just found it really interesting that there is this sort of anti-family, anti-child kind of a sentiment that's out there. I know friends that, you know, even long before this, deliberately said they weren't going to have kids because it's too much work, right? Instead, a lot of couples will have fur babies, they're much easier to to raise. I mean, yeah, we when we got a puppy, the first few months are difficult as you house train and things like that. But for the most part, pretty quickly, way more quickly than my two kids, you know, the puppy becomes pretty self-sustaining, right? I don't have to care for it as much. But I just found it really interesting that we as a human species, we depend on our children. The very children that we devalue in that way we depend on them. And so I look at even things like who's going to pour into the pension program and all that kind of stuff. Even though that's more on the governmental level, it's the same idea as what you see in the Bible, for example, where in those times you had lots of children, so you had more workers. And in your old age, you depended on your children to survive. And we talked about this in our last podcast, right, with Pharisees teaching, oh, yeah, you know, you can basically take the bread out of your father's mouth and give it to God kind of thing. And Jesus chastises them for that, basically. And so I, I look at that and go, yeah, isn't it ironic that the very children that we uh, that we devalue are the ones that we depend on for our survival as the human race? And without children, what recourse do we have? Well, we see this sort of farming out of the basic human care, the basic care of the elderly to robots, 
right? And we see this in Japan. We see this in other places around the world, like in Italy, for example, where they have these robots that are now taking care of the elderly because there just isn't enough people to care for them. I think this is such an important point, Steve, because it goes deeper than just economics. This goes at the very heart of our humanity. What does it look like to be a human that is flourishing? Because one of the things that this organization says is that this is how their, their video starts, by the way. It says, I have a beautiful vision of the world in which every child is loved and has opportunity and, and goes on. And it's like, listen, I have a vision of the world, a beautiful vision of the world where the elderly have somebody to love them right? That, that there are communities and that loneliness isn't as pervasive as it is in our society. Because, I mean, isn't that the real irony here, Steve? You would think with a population of almost 8 billion people that we would have more social interaction than we would know what to do with. But yet, as a society, the world has never been lonelier. Mm-hmm. And so, now, what do you have? And you, you mentioned Japan, so let's just take that as an example, because you and I, in some of the research we've been recently doing for a new course that we have coming up, which this is just a shameless plug, uh, <laughs> uh, Steve and I will be offering an online course come January on theological anthropology or in this area of the book Reclaimed uh, that you can do for fun or you could take that for college credit. One of the things that we've seen in Japan is something very interesting. Given their, you know, their low birth rates, the outcome has been systemic loneliness to such a degree, and I kid you not, again, just do some research on it. It's depressing. They're in Japan. They literally make statues of human beings so that cities and villages don't feel so lonely and empty. They have people that are dying in their homes and rotting and are not found for years. It's so pervasive that they have a name for it. Steve, I'm sure you remember it. Yeah, kodokushi, uh, which means lonely death, literally. Kodoku means lonely and she is death. That's exactly what it means. And often it's the elderly who have nobody to care for them. And in fact, I read an article of this one cleaner Right? He has a whole business, and he ended up doing more and more of these godokushi cleanups, where he would sometimes walk into a, an apartment. He would describe, like, the living condition must have been just absolutely horrendous. There are piles of dishes that are just, and the garbage everywhere, and there is this note next to the person who died, and all, all that you have left are basically bones and skin. And the note just said, Please send somebody to help. It's just mind-boggling stuff. I had a friend, family friend. His dad passed away in Korea on a business trip, right? And he wasn't found for months. And the, the impact that left on everybody around them, that's just not... When you look at that, you don't go oh yeah, that's exactly how humanity should live, right? You you recognize, okay, something's wrong here. Is that here. the beautiful vision that you had in mind? Because <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not what I would think. Here's another one that's interesting that, Steve, you came across this one, where there is now a business that is alive and well in Japan called Rent-A-Sister. Yeah, and so there's a kind of a small contingent of people 
in Japan, although now this is becoming more of a global phenomenon called hikikomori, where under the social pressures and other things, these people, most of them young men, they will lock themselves up and they will not come out for years at a time. Uh, if, if you just left them, that, that's just how they live. They don't come out to society. They don't interact with anyone else. All they do is play video games or watch TV. You know, and A you lot just... of parents right now are starting to get cold sweats. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now what's, what's interesting is how do you solve this problem? Right. That becomes really interesting. Like, how do you coax them out? And the way it's done is through human interaction. And so there is a group of people, uh, they're called Renta Sisters. And so this lady, for example, you know, gets paid by the parents usually. My son is locked up. He's been locked up for three years and he won't come out. He won't talk to anybody. Please help him. So then she first goes to an apartment and what have you, start exchanging notes under the door. And if you build enough trust, then he might just come out. And all she does, all the rent sister does is just spend time with this person. Go shopping together, go eat together, just normal interaction. They emphasize in this one video that I found, they emphasize I'm not trained in anything. All I do is just spend time with this guy. And that's how you draw the hikikomori out where they're at. It's the human interaction. And I look at it and I go, okay, this is an indication of what sits at the core of who we are as human beings. Now we're getting at the root issue. Yeah, exactly. We're just not. And so often I tell this story from the book of Genesis where God creates the world, right? And he creates Adam. Eve is not around yet. And scripture says, it's very fascinating when you read it. God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And now this is pre-fall. This is before everything went haywire and we started attending funerals. But God sees Adam, this innocent being who has this innocent relationship with him says it's not good for the man to be alone. So what does he do? He brings all of these animals to Adam for him to name them. And whatever name he gave to these animals, that was their name, it says, right? But then it's really fascinating. This one quick verse at the end of that, it says, but among the animals, no suitable helper was found. And so God, you know the story, right? God puts Adam to sleep, takes the side of Adam, creates Eve, brings her to him. And what does he say? He says, now finally, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Uh, in other words, what he's saying is, now here's somebody who's like me. I mean, yes, dogs are great. Cats are wonderful. But they're just not my equals. And that's what he needed. And he says, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. Because she was taken from men, ish, the Hebrew word ish, she shall be called woman, isha. Right, so again, there you see that kind of a mirror image. We are of the same kind. And it's important too, what you, the distinction you're making there, because in the Hebrew, often it'll get translated rib, but it's actually side. And you get this idea that it's the completion of the two. The two come together and become one. Yeah. And in fact... When you read that story of how God creates humanity, and then it says, for this reason, they will, the man will leave his father and mother, be cleaved to his wife, and two will become one flesh, right? And there's this idea of, I mean, we, we talk about, you know, story of Adam and Eve, their creation as a sort of 
the foundation for marriage and it is that, but I look at it and I go, it's also more than that. It's so much because more. Yeah. it's not good for the man to be alone and he brings animals to him. No, it's more about, yeah, you need to have your equals. And in fact, you see plenty of couples, young couples who are lonely together. They need something more than just their sort of this binary interaction, if you will, just between the two of them. <clears throat> and I think that's such an important point. This is more than just marriage. This is about being a human being and, and what it means to be a human being, our need for relationship and how deep that need goes. And, and everyone who knows me has heard me preach this many times, right? Love God, love people. But I, I want to end on this note because I do want to just take a moment. Although I said, you know, that I reached for the spanking paddle a couple times. I'll, I'll leave the I'll leave the paddle up on the wall. <laughs> I do just want to agree at, at some level with with these people, right? I I appreciate a desire to not deplete the planet's resources. I can appreciate that, or you know, the extinction of species, or the issues of poverty, climate change, deforestation, water shortages. You know, all those sorts of things. You know, like. Even affordable housing, of course. We're on board with those things, but how naive it is to believe that the root cause of that is world population size and to think that by having less children and not valuing relationship and family is going to create a beautiful vision is not just naive, it's misguided. You have a utopia in mind, but you're you're heading straight for dystopia. And I have a beautiful vision, Steve. It's a beautiful vision that is rooted in the Bible that has been preaching of the importance of community and relationship with God and with people right relationship, good relationship, healthy relationship, a sort of relationship that loves God so much that they love the planet that God created, a a sort of relationship that takes stewardship of the planet seriously, that they care about the planet's resources and the planet's animals and the the planet's water and, and air pollution and all those sorts of things because they care about God and what God's created. The kind of people that love one another so much that they won't stand by with regards to poverty, that they won't stand by with regards to water shortages or overpriced housing or or homelessness or whatever it might be, that these two things aren't mutually exclusive, that we can value relationship and family and have children and a large population size and still do all those things. We can get that right. The root cause isn't the amount of people, it's what's going on in the heart of the people. This is what we've got to get after. Well, let's uh, wrap up right there. Thank you for joining us, listeners, on this, another edition of the AC Podcast. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, and we'll come back to you next week with more stuff to think about. Until then, take care of yourselves out there. <laughs>